0: Welcome to the Wirecard Saga, a podcast with Tom Fox and Mikhail Ryder Gordon, Managing Director of Institutional Ethics and Integrity at Affiliated Monitors. Over this podcast series, we're going to take a deep dive into the Wirecard Saga to see where it may take us literally across the globe. We introduce the topic, Mikhail goes through some of the many scandals the company has been involved with over the years. We highlight the failure of the regulators in Germany in this case and foreshadow some of the upcoming topics we'll explore on future podcasts. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I'm thrilled to have back with me Mikhail Reeder Gordon. And she is the Managing Director of Institutional Ethics and Integrity at Affiliated Monitors. Mikhail, first of all. Yep.
1: You got my name. Uh, You mispronounced it.
0: Okay. (laughs) What's the right?
1: Mikhail. Mikhail. Yeah. Ryder Gordon. Sorry. This conference will now be recorded.
0: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again for another episode. And today I have with me Mikhail Ryder-Gordon. She is the Managing Director for Institutional Ethics and Integrity at Affiliated Monitors. Mikhail, first of all, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today.
1: It's absolutely my pleasure. I'm glad to be back.
0: And we are going to take up the juiceless Juicily delicious Wirecard fraud, which, as you can tell by my butchered pronunciation, I am extraordinarily excited to visit with you about. So, can we start off by it seems many people, including regulators, were confused about what is or perhaps what was Wirecard? Could we even start with that?
1: Absolutely. And it did. This is abs- my favorite soap opera at the moment. Okay. So, uh, Wirecard a German fintech company, and they are or were <laughs> two things. In Europe, they uh, were uh, what is known as an acquiring business, and that's they functioned as a conduit between a consumer and a merchant um, on e-commerce, right? I, I want to buy something online. They're the in-between that takes my credit card details. They process the payment. Off it goes to the the merchant. Outside of Europe, they acted as a payment processor, mobile payments, e commerce, and through various acquisitions, they also owned and functioned as a German registered bank, Wirecard Bank. And back at their, well, now fictional, Epigee, uh, they collaborated with probably some quarter of a million companies worldwide. I mean, major companies, uh, KLM, Qatar Airways. London Transport, a lot of global brands where they, they were the middleman, uh, taking a small cut of transactions, uh, between the customers and the merchants. They were licensed by Visa and MasterCards. They could issue credit cards as well as, uh, process payments on behalf of those merchants again. Um, and, and that is in a nutshell what they, what they are, were.
0: So, I have lived in Houston this time for 36 years, and Enron uh, is the single biggest experience around uh, accounting fraud and business value crashing that I have lived through. And Wirecard is right up there. So, I wanted to start off by asking, have you ever seen a faster dip in value from $12 billion to insolvency in five days?
1: Um. I will say no, but I was less surprised, I think, by their precipitous fall now. And it is spectacular. Three days of trading, 80% of the market value wiped out. Incredible. Uh, but And, and, and Ron's, in Enron's defense, it took six months for them to get to insolvency. Um, but if you look back on Wirecard's history, there have been some steep falls in their history. And it's almost invariably been driven by allegations of accounting irregularities. In 2010, shares fell almost 30%, just value wiped off in one day, when the company was named in a uh, U.S. federal criminal case against an individual in Florida who was running an unlicensed MSB and using Wirecard as his bank. And and. Just the mere appearance of Wirecard in that complaint wiped 30% off. Now, they bounced back. Uh, In 2015, when Dan McCrum of the Financial Times first started to write about uh, and question inconsistencies in the company's accounts, the share price of Wirecard dropped. In 2016, a group of hedge funds concerned about, uh, this is going to sound like a broken record, Wirecard's accounting practices (laughs) They drew, they drew, uh, caused a 20% drop in the stock value, and if you look at the longer trend, you know the price overall it, it slowly rose between 2011, steady incline, a uh, steady uh, uh, incline, and then March of 2018 it starts to rocket. It hits this high by the fall of 2018, and then you know the FT publishes that comprehensive investigative report. This is driven by a whistleblower. And in January 2019, and that causes the stock to dip again, and it recovers. and And then, McCrum follows up with a very damning report in October uh, this this past year, to October 2019. And again, it takes a dip, and then, of course, in 2020, the FT continues to publish its damning evidence, and the Singaporean authorities raid Wirecard operations in Singapore, and again we see a fall, and then. All of it comes to a head, and poof, nothing left.
0: So um, we both have lived through numerous financial scandals, and we've studied them as well. Are there any things about this scandal that you think are unique, or or make it unique?
1: I I, I want to say yes and no. Um, Certainly, the, the speed <laughs> of, it, of its demise um, is perhaps unique. But if you look over the longer um, period, this was a much slower burn, I think, than many folks realize. Um, again, as I've mentioned, there were inklings. Uh, there were inklings in 2008 when a German shareholder association published an attack on wirecard uh, balance sheet irregularities, you know that was a red flag, but it was was ignored. Um, in fact, one of the individuals involved in that ended up doing some, some prison time, um, uh, in conjunction with with some uh, acting uh, stock stock tip, and. and Throughout this, they've they've had these red flags um, that people just seemed intent on ignoring, which I think is not dissimilar to many other scandals we've seen in the past. Um, you know, we we there were a long history of bizarre claims by their CEO uh, Marcus Braun. Um, you know, he would claim that they were using AI and cutting edge, as he called it, technology. And, and now we know that really employees were, you know, cobbling together Excel spreadsheets. Um, but on, invest, on investor calls, you know, an analyst noted that that Braun's description sounded really rudimentary and like a high schooler. Uh, you know, he 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 quote, this is Braun talking about this cutting edge technology, quote, a data layer that also takes new and state of the art instruments in the area of machine learning and AI into account. Like, huh? It, to me, this is shades of, of uh, Holmes and, and Theranos uh, with these bizarre descriptions. Um, you, you look back at the red flags and the irregularities um, called out, particularly 2015, 2016. Uh, you know, at one point, uh, there were questions by investors about how payments were being booked and revenue irregularities. And Wirecard's finance director told analysts on a call um, to quote focus on his version of cash flows every three months rather than the official long version following all of the what he, international financial reporting standards necessities. Don't focus on those necessities. Focus on his version. Um, you know, huge red flag. We've seen this before. Uh, And and we've seen folks who ought to have known better ignore these same red flags.
0: Um, So that uh, took a different direction than uh, my good friend Jeffrey Skilling, who on an analyst call back when he was the CEO or COO of uh, Enron, just told the analysts uh, they didn't understand the financial model. It's because they were too stupid. Um, okay. But the uh, let me pick up on uh, your point on uh, the red flags that were raised and who perhaps should have been looking more closely at those by asking you about the role of EY in this. Um, EY has now said that they had a fraud perpetrated on them. And I guess the question I wanted to start with um, – I understand that auditors cannot always uh, uncover fraud, but uh, can a fraud be perpetrated on auditors if they're doing their job properly?
1: Uh, okay. Well, yeah. I, I'm going to dis. I'm going to say no. Um, now, I, in in a min, minimal defense of ey is that they they were not forensic, uh, accounter accounting auditors on this. But let's go back. Uh, something I think a lot of folks don't know, is that back when um, this attack by um, the Shareholder Association in 2008 on Wirecard questioning balance sheet irregularities, it was EY that was brought in as the special auditor. They were actually tasked with being the forensic auditor at that time. Um, And then after that, when they gave them a clean bill of health, EY is brought in to replace what had been a uh, a local accounting firm out of Munich that was the standard auditor for Wirecard. So, you know, I'll say the, the auditors, EY had full access to Wirecard's books and records. The FT, the Financial Times, I keep calling it the FT. The Financial Times did not, and yet the Financial Times managed to pull these accounts apart and figure out, hey, these are not adding up. Um, these warrant additional scrutiny. There are a lot of questions here, and and if you if you follow McCrum's analysis over the you know five year period, just from 2015 to to Early 2020, it's fairly obvious that there is something deeply, deeply wrong. Um, you know, KPMG, that that wasn't retained in, until 2019, uh, managed to ask all the right questions that EY didn't. And and yet you know, one of the first things uh, that's, that's typically done in any audit is that third-party verification. Now I know EY claims, "Oh well, you know the banks didn't send us the documents, um, but but we we were given copies of, of the bank statements, so that's that's sufficient." It's like I I don't know if any any sound audit practice that doesn't go directly to the financial institution and say, we need copies of this. You're authorized to collect those. Um, so it is uh, mystifying that, that they should have missed this.
0: Let me pick up on another point you raised, which is the ubiquitous FT or the Financial Times, for those not in the know. Um, <laughs> I have, uh, although I'm married to an English girl, I've never lived in England, but I find the FT to be, I think, now the world's top business newspaper. You have lived in the United Kingdom. You're partly educated in the United Kingdom. Uh, What are your thoughts on the Financial Times and what it means for the greater uh, business community literally across the globe?
1: Well, I'd have to agree with your assessment. I think they have um, definitely risen to the top. Uh, as, as the premier, uh, business, uh, publication. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I believe me, I'm so grateful that McCrum and, and his colleagues are so, um, tenacious and, and exacting. I, I would wish to see, uh, more of this from other media outlets I mean, they we shouldn't have to rely on on a single paper and and that's not to say that we there isn't some great journalism and investigative reporting out of many other uh, media outlets but um, certainly uh, they have um, they have demonstrated uh, an, an exactitude and and fortitude that is admirable and I'd like to see some other papers follow suit.
0: (laughs) One of the things that uh, struck me as unique about this case, and frankly as a lawyer offended me to no end, was (laughs) that the German regulators who oversaw Wirecard uh, actually brought criminal charges against the FT and their reporters (laughs) for breaking this story.
1: Oh yeah, Um, that was astounding.
0: Uh, you know, Bill Barr notwithstanding in his antics, uh, what is the role of a regulator in Germany? And perhaps have I misunderstood the German uh, regulatory model?
1: Well, it's certainly um, one that would be unfamiliar to um, a U.S. audience. Um, So, the Wirecard was actually is, was subject to multiple regulators. Interestingly, the bulk of Wirecard's business and this is highly unusual, is actually regulated by a district government. It's the upper Bavarian district government. So this is a local agency. We'd think of it in the U.S. as akin to a county or small state agency. I wouldn't even, um, it it would not equate to say, um, you know, a California AG or a Texas AG's office And it goes really without saying that they were woefully unprepared or even capable of regulating a global fintech company. Um, And and, and additionally, you know, there's there's been so much media and German government focus on this. Germany's Federal Financial Supervisory Authority, um, known as Boffin, not Boffin, although they've certainly uh, acted like Boffins in in this, uh, they're the regulator responsible invest- for investigating insider dealing and in market abuse, uh, and they do—they do actually have a legal right and obligation to notify the German public prosecutor's office of any facts that give rise to suspicion that a criminal offense has been committed. Obviously, they didn't do that initially, um, as you as you said when uh, the FT published their big story. Uh, that reported on whistleblower allegations, uh, they actually uh, accuse the FT and its reporters, two of their reporters, of attempted price manipulation. Um, but in addition to to BaFin, there is also a a private sector body, and 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 BaFin can ask them. This is the Financial Reporting Enforcement Panel, or FREP, to investigate, um, and 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 some have argued that FRAP really was the first line of defense from the regulatory side and failed. So BASC uh, FRAP to investigate back in early 2019, again, post uh, FT January story. And, and remember FT has been reporting on this for off and on for five years, but it's, it's one of the big stories that, that, is published, including copies of documents that are quite damning. Um, Baffin asked FREP to investigate. Now, FREP is a private sector body that monitors financial reporting of listed companies on behalf of the German government. But wait for it. There are a total of 15 FREP employees in all of Germany. And in this case, for Wirecard, one FREP employee was tasked with the investigation in 2019. Um, FREP only has a budget of 6 million euro a year. Um, to put this in context, the KPMG special audit that, that uh, launched uh, in, in later in 2019, that is said to have required 40 employees and cost upwards of 10 million euro. So here you have this one FRAP employee beavering away at, at a very complex set of books uh, for a, a global fintech company. So it's not, not really a surprise that they didn't get very far. Um, and and in, then you have the Singaporean authorities that raided the Wirecard Singapore office, again, around allegations of accounting fraud. Uh, and and they launched their investigation um, quite some months ago, and they certainly didn't ban um, it, you know Baffin Baffin banned short sellers at one point, um, and they didn't coordinate with Singapore. They they watched Singapore's authorities raid this, the wirecard office there for APAC, and did absolutely nothing about it, um, and and all of that. Really, um, that has led us to where we are now, where the the EU is now investigating BaFin to determine if BaFin broke EU laws in its dealings with Wirecard. So the the European Commission has actually asked the ESMA, which is the European Securities and Market Authority, to carry out a fact finding analysis of BaFin specific to Wirecard. So, and the commission's director even wrote in a letter to ASMA, quote, the preliminary analysis should seek to establish a comprehensive description and assessment of the events, including the adequacy of the supervisory response to these events leading to the collapse of Wirecard AG. Yikes.
0: So, Now, uh, there are some assets left of Wirecard. The firm is still in insolvency. There um, have been some discussions or at least reports that perhaps some of the assets could be purchased. But is there any place for Wirecard to go from here, in your opinion?
1: Well, I think there's a lot more to come. On Wirecard, Um, on on the insolvency side, yeah, buyers are picking over what remains. Uh, You know, for instance, Wirecard North America used to be Citigroup's prepaid card services unit. So, that's likely going to be sold off. Um, The UK FCA uh, had initiated a temporary ban on Wirecard Solutions, which is the UK arm. They've now lifted that so the entity can continue to collect and process outstanding payments uh, and then likely be sold off. Deutsche Bank uh, is considering buying Wirecard Bank. Um, Deutsche's CEO uh, was quoted as saying they felt it was almost uh, you know, obligata- obligatory on Deutsche being uh, the Germany's largest bank to consider buying it. But I think we have a lot more to see. This story is only really starting to get going, so to speak. Uh, there's a lot of truth yet to come out. Uh, If we think about this, recall that one of the key actors in this saga, uh, Jan Marsalek, the individual who was second in command to uh, Braun and was COO of Wirecard, he had direct responsibility and oversight of the internal departments and divisions responsible for what are now confirmed fraudulent profits. He's a fugitive now. So we've got Marsh and and he's gone to extreme lengths. Um, it's come out that uh, a few weeks ago, in his flight from justice, he actually bribed Philippine immigration officers into recording that he had entered that country uh, on, on on June 23rd in a supposed um, route to China. It's now come to light uh, that the immigration officers falsified the records at Marsalek's uh, bidding, and he never actually entered the Philippines. Uh, Braun, Braun's been charged with multiple counts of false accounting and market manipulation, um, but he's still maintaining, maintaining he didn't know anything about it. Uh, there's a third German-based Wirecard exec who was arrested and charged, Oliver Ballenhaus. He ran the Middle East unit out of his apartment in Dubai, um, and, and that was an apartment in, in the luxury Burj Khalifa tower. Uh, he's been arrested. Christopher Bauer, uh, a German former Wirecard a- APAC exec, and his wife are under investigation by the Philippine National Bureau of Investigation and its anti-money laundering council, AMLEC. AMLEC's also looking into five other Wirecard business partners in the Philippines. There's the Singapore uh, investigation. They've already arrested uh, uh, five, no, eight employees and partners in total, some of some of whom were being held in detention pending trial. Uh, so I think we can expect a lot more to come to light in the next weeks and months. Uh, we don't know if the UAE is going to, regulators are going to open an investigation. Uh, German police just uh, re-raided Wirecard's headquarters for a second time just last week, Austrian police have raided several locations in Austria. There are now no less than 12 German prosecutors, 33 police investigators, and a multiplicity of IT and forensic accounting specialists who are working on the German case alone. Um, when you also think about Wirecard APAC, which really in some ways uh, launched or precipitated this investigation, this greater investigation. Uh, We have likely the Hong Kong Monetary Authority opening an investigation because uh, it was at Marcellic's direction that Thorsten Holton and Stefan von Urfa, Wirecard's head of Treasury, respectively head of Treasury and head of accounting, um, falsified invoices and set up a round-tripping scheme that ran for multiple years Right. They cook the books in order to get the Hong Kong uh, regulators to grant them a license there. So now we can anticipate Hong Kong's monetary authority waiting in. Um, we, we got a long way to go. This, this soap opera is just getting going.
0: Unfortunately, we are near, near the end of our time, but I hope as more develops in this case that perhaps I could call upon you again for another visit.
1: I'd be delighted. We haven't even talked about the broken uh, uh, Deutschland AG, so
0: <laughs> let's talk. All right. Till next time. Thanks, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. I hope you'll join me again next week where I take a look at an issue related to the FCPA compliance and ethics. We have two great new podcast series on the Compliance Podcast Network that I hope you're aware of. The first one is compliance and coronavirus where I try to bring Sanity and clarity to the compliance practitioner and the business executive around coronavirus. Also, the Compliance Life features one CCO a month talking about their journey to the CCO chair and beyond in four parts. Uh, This month it's Ryan Robillet, and has who has a fascinating journey. Also, if you're a fan of Teddy Roosevelt, I have a series on 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership hosted by Richard Lummis, where we're looking at Teddy Roosevelt, his life, his presidency, and beyond, and what its messages are for the leaders of today. It's a fascinating series. I know you will enjoy it, and it's particularly important for compliance practitioners to uh, take a look at leadership skills. I hope you'll join me again next week for our next episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. The FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thanks again for listening.